to other people. It might have been some of the first time you've ever heard it. My experience has been that uh, the majority of people say they're Baptists can't tell you what that even means. That's the majority. And then for sure, even those that can enumerate uh, some of these Baptist distinctives, they can't, they can't tell you in the Bible. They can't prove it to you in the Bible. There's no way to, uh, that they can nail it down in the Bible. They don't have any, any solid Bible for it. And uh, so uh, we got a few more of these that we're going to do. And we'll cover, uh, cover them. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the two biblical offices of the church. And I'm going to read one verse of scripture, just kind of, or a few verses here, uh, but not very, not very many down through here in the book of Philippians. Just try to, actually probably just read one verse, just kind of as a springboard. Uh, the Bible said, Paul and Timotheus, uh, verse 1, the service of Jesus Christ. So who was the letter of uh, the book of Philippians written to? Well, here you go. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, watch this now, with the bishops and the deacons. With the bishops and uh, the deacons. And so tonight we want to take that verse. We'll think a little bit tonight about the two biblical offices of the church. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray tonight, God, that you give us what we need. Uh, Lord, as we've went through these uh, Bible-believing distinctives, these things that we know the Bible teaches, uh, God, it's been a blessing to me and you. Uh, Lord, I just pray, God, that you'd help us to always stand on authority of the Scripture. Uh, do that as only you can, Lord, to hear tonight. We'll thank you and praise you for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. How does it look tonight? And, of course, we've uh, already talked a little bit about uh, let's think about what we've seen so far. We've talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of what got everything started. Uh, there's a lot of erroneous doctrines out there dealing with uh, the Holy Spirit right now. And so we kind of started by looking at that on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. Then we talked a little bit about the authority and infallibility of the Scriptures. And uh, really without that doctrine, you don't have any other doctrines. You've got to believe the Word of God is the Word of God. And then we talked about the autonomy of the local church, how that every church is a church all by itself. Then on last week, we talked a little bit about the priesthood of the believer, how that when you get saved, uh, you become a priest in Christ, able to approach God all on your own, no need for any more sacrifices, no need for anybody else to make prayers on your behalf. We talked a little bit about that. Now tonight, I want us to think about these two biblical offices of the church. Uh, now, as we saw on uh, Sunday, and we studied... Sunday, I preached there a little bit on leadership. Uh, we saw how that the church often has many different uh, people that make the church go forward. There's secretaries and uh, there's, uh, there's all different kinds of uh, 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 project leaders and uh, Sunday school teachers and all kinds of different things that make the church go forward. But uh, that's uh, true in a growing uh, New Testament church. A lot of times you spread that out but really, when you get down to the brass tacks, there's only two offices that are biblically mandated for the local New Testament church, and that is the office of pastor and deacon. And, uh, and so we want to look at that. Uh, we see that Paul believed that there should be pastors and deacons as he addresses the church at Philippi here, and he talks about the bishops, which are the pastors. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And uh, the deacons. Uh, now, these two offices are distinct from one another 
in their calling, in their purpose, in their qualifications, and in their expectations. I want to deal with them tonight. I tell you, I believe this is an area where people are confused a lot of times. And just in the area of pastor, for example, we got men running all over the country that have been married three, four, five, six times and pastor a church, even though the Bible said there in 1 Timothy chapter number 3 that the, that the pastor should be the husband of one wife. Now let me put that to bed for you real quick. It's not what I'm preaching on tonight. Let me put that to bed real quick for you. You say, well, I've heard people say that means one wife at a time. Now surely we'd think that the scriptures would hold a higher value of marriage than to think it means one at a time. I've even had some men say, well, what the Bible's talking about there is polygamy, that the pastor cannot be a polygamist. Now again, surely we've got a higher expectation of the scripture than that, than to believe that the Bible would have to tell us that a pastor could not be a polygamist. No, I believe the Bible says what it means and means what it says. I believe that a pastor has to be, number one, a man. You can't be a husband without being a man. I believe you got to be a man. I don't believe you can rule your own house well. The Bible said that suffer not a woman to teach nor to serve authority over a man. I don't believe you can preach without teaching nor serving authority. You say, well, Francis Radford was my favorite preacher. God help you. I'm sure she was a fine person, but she weren't no preacher. Amen. That's just a fact. And uh, you say, well, I love to hear Joyce Meyer get up and talk with her big flashy earrings. Uh, again, God help you. I ain't gonna, I'm not going to watch her read nothing after her because she's not uh, operating in a biblically mandated way. See, the Bible said, I don't make the rules. I just say what the rules say. And the rule says uh, that a pastor's got to be the husband of one wife. Uh, I believe there's a lot of confusion about that in our day. I want us to look today at the, the office of pastor and the office of deacon. I was think a little bit about what God intended for the church uh, concerning these offices. First, let's think about the office of pastor. Now, I'm going to start tonight with some vocabulary. Matter of fact, I'm already trying to get ahead of myself uh, because uh, one of these distinctives that I'm going to preach on, I don't believe it's one of the listed distinctives as far as Baptist distinctives are concerned, I'm going to preach on the I'm going to preach on the eternal security of the church, eternal security of the believer here in a few weeks, and I'm already excited about it. And uh, you can just look at the vocabulary. And boy, I tell you, you know, if you just let the Bible say what it says, then it'll say what it says. Amen. And uh, I think about the vocabulary about the pastor. So there's three words, three names that are given. For the, for the pastor in the New Testament. Uh, let's, let's think about those. First of all, at, in places in the New Testament, they're called elders. And uh, the word elder is, uh, comes from a Greek word, presbyteros, which means those who, are, uh, who preside over assemblies. And in many areas, Paul addresses the elders of the church and what he's talking about. He's not talking about the old people. He's talking about the pastors there. That's another word for pastor, the elder. Now, the word elder, uh, it shows us that the, the office of pastor is one that requires a spiritual maturity. 
As a matter of fact, Paul would later go on and tell Timothy that a man that's going to be a pastor could not be a novice. That is, newly born again or new in the faith. A man that's going to pastor a church has to have a degree of spiritual maturity. That doesn't mean he has to be an old man. Timothy wasn't an old man. Paul told Timothy, he said, let no man despise thy youth. And so you don't have to be, you know, gray-headed to be a pastor. But I do believe you need to be spiritually mature. Now, how many of you should agree with me tonight? There's been a whole lot of heartache saved in churches across western North Carolina if they'd have simply waited for some men to get some spiritual maturity about them uh, before they went to pastoring. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be honest, dishonest. I know how to be with you tonight. I probably didn't have no business pastoring when I was 21 years old, uh, but I wanted to pastor, and they asked me to, and I said, yeah, I'll pastor. Uh, I'd like to think I was a little uh, wise beyond my years, uh, but I know that I was still given to a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, knee-jerk reactions and uh, flying off the handle. You know how young men are uh, in a lot of cases, and it takes a little bit of spiritual maturity. Matter of fact, I look back over the years that I spent as pastor, Brother Allen, and I hurt people that I didn't have to hurt. I, I took a stand a lot of times, brought Bobby for the right thing, and but I did it in the wrong way. I had a bad attitude about it, and I was mad about it, and I was like a bull in a china shop. And went, I mean, buddy, I, if you if you pulled an apple cart in, I did my best to turn it over before you got out the back door. I believe that you had to leave guts in the altar and blood on the walls and kick them while they was limping out the back door. I believe that's the way you did the preaching. No straightened everything out and got everybody straight and jumped on everybody and fussed about everything. Hey, but I'm going to tell you, I have grown and matured a lot over the years. There's spiritual maturity about me, and I believe that's qualified, and that's what God's talking about here. When he's talking about an elder, he's talking about spiritual maturity. But then not only that, not only was there the elder, but there's the word bishop. Now, that word bishop is epikos, 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 I'll say it here in a minute. In other words, it means overseer, overseer. The bishop means the overseer. Now, this shows the work of the pastor in administration. Now, not everything a pastor does is spiritual. Sometimes we need chairs for the Sunday school room, so I spent about an hour and a half today trying to figure out where we bought these chairs so I could order the same ones and figure that out and order 60 chairs to go in the Sunday school room. That's not very spiritual. Nobody's going to shout because I said, hey, I ordered 60 chairs today for the Sunday school room. Nobody's going to take a lap. Nobody's going to get in the halter over it, but it's still a job of the pastor. See, and the pastor is in charge of administering budgets and uh, figuring out uh, about money spent and taking on missionaries. And there's a lot of administrative things that, uh, that, that falls into a pastor's wheelhouse. A lot of times he delegates that authority to other people, but ultimately it's his job as the, as the bishop that is the administrator administrator of the church it's my job to know what's going on and oversee that now thank God over the last few years we've had some people that I could I could kind of delegate that out to and allow them to take off with it and handle it and I don't have to worry about it I say glory be to God but it's just like the president used to say the buck stops here and so ultimately it's my job to know what's going on and that is the word bishop it has to do with the administration of the church then there's the word pastor. That word pastor literally means shepherd, shepherd. And as that, that aspect of a pastor, we see that 
the pastor is responsible for the spiritual well-being of the flock that he leads. My job, my number one job, is to make sure that there is nothing that is false or no erroneous doctrine, no heresy that's being taught at any time or in any place at the Concord Baptist Church. My, my job as the under-shepherd is to sniff that out and to make sure that only the pure Word of God is being preached and taught at the Concord Baptist Church. That, that falls, that's my job as spiritual pastor. But I want to ask you something. Did it ever dawn to you that I go to church here too? Did you, hey, did you ever think about that? that I, I mean, I'm not going to church somewhere else when I ain't here. This is where I go to church. And, but it's, I, it's different for me than it is by anybody else because I do about 95% of the preaching. See, so I don't get to sit there and hear no preaching, but this is where I go to church too. And so uh, when we think about the pastor and the vocabulary, then there's the pastor and the vocation. And that is, Brother Steve, there is a, this, this is my job. This is what I do. It's who I am. It's who I've been. But I've got a guard about it not just being a job to me. I'm not punching a clock. I'm not, it's, not, it's not a job like anybody else's job. Um, and because this is, this, is, this is my work, this is what I do, yes, but this is also where I go to church. I come in them back doors sometimes dragging. I come in here with a spiritual need in my life. I come in here with a sin that I need to confess and get straightened up with God. I come in here with all of the things that you come in here with on any typical Sunday. But I've got to try to get it all worked out and all straightened up before I get in the pulpit to preach because it's my job to feed you and deliver something to you. And then every now and again, God will pass by in a song or in a, somebody else will preach it and bless me and help me me because I need it too sometimes. So as a pastor, I've got a guard against letting this just be a job. I'm telling you, I believe that's where a lot of men have messed up over the years is when it gets to where it's just a job. And I've got to always be mindful that I'm responsible because ultimately the way that you progress as a Christian, the way that you behave as a Christian reflects on the job that I'm doing standing in this pulpit preaching the Word of God. Did you ever think about that? Oh, yes. And so I'm responsible. I'm responsible to feed the flock of God. I'm responsible to protect the flock, the flock, the flock of God. And so I've got all these responsibilities to you. And I'll ask you something. Have you ever thought about it if you was a pastor? What kind of church would you want? What kind of people would you want? Well, you'd probably want a praying people. You'd probably want a, a, a people that when they bowed their head to ask the Lord, the Lord to help you, prayed for you. You'd probably want a praying people. You know, if you was a pastor, you'd probably want a participating people. You'd probably want to get up on Sunday morning and preach and see some heads, heads are nodding a little bit. Folks are leaning in, listening to you. Might want to hear an amen or two. You might want to hear a testimony or three. If you was a pastor, you might want to hear that. You might want to participate in people. I thought about this. You'd probably want to patient people because you're going to mess up, ain't you? If you're the pastor, you'd think you wouldn't mess up. Hey, if you think that you can pastor perfect, if you would see me after the service and we'll see about getting you installed 
as the pastor for next Sunday rolls around. You'd probably mess up. I've messed up a lot. You'd probably mess up. You know what you'd want? You'd want people to be patient with you. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about this. You'd probably want to pay people. <laughs> you'd probably want people to put a little money in the offering plate when it come by. Did right about their tithe. Helped their mission fund. So she didn't have to pace the floor and wonder where the money is going to come in at. See what I'm saying? So there is the vocabulary. Then there's the vocation. Then let's talk about the office of deacon. Now, I happen to notice I ain't got no deacons here tonight. So I guess I can say whatever I want to. <laughs> no, they're, all, they're probably watching online. And I've got good deacons. I thank God for my deacons. They ain't here tonight, but I'd say that whether they're here or not. Tell everybody that I don't have no problem out of them. And I've lived through that. I've lived through time when I had trouble out of deacons. And you ain't had, you ain't had trouble. You got deacon trouble, I'll tell you what. Uh, but uh, I tell you, these deacons that I've got, they've always been good, always been a blessing, help. I say glory to God. That's what they ought to be. But I think about the <coughs> biblical office of a deacon. Now, how do we get deacons to start with? Why do we even got deacons? Why do we need them? Well, Acts chapter number six, they've got a problem in the early church. It's growing and booming, and they're trying to see to the widows. And them Grecian widows feel like they've been left out in the daily ministration. They come to the apostles and start complaining about it. The apostles said, we ain't got time to worry about that. we got to pray and preach and study the word of God. He said, they said, let's set, out, set, set aside seven men full of the Holy Ghost, put over this business. And that was the start of the deacons. Deacons were there to help. Matter of fact, the name, uh, the name deacon means servant or minister. Servant or minister. So the deacon is put there as a help, two things, as a help to the pastor and as a help to the church. That's why deacons, that's why a deacon installs, help the pastor and help the church. Uh, I'm going to make some statements right here that are wildly unpopular, but I think probably everybody that's paying any attention will agree with me. Uh, in these mountains, I'll tell you what happens. I mean, let me paint for you a scenario right here. I don't know. Maybe this happens everywhere. I've never lived nowhere but here. So I can't speak for how things happen down, down the country. But I know how things happen in these mountains. Pastors get up one Sunday morning and they get mad. And suddenly God's told them to leave. And so they get up and they say, this is my last Sunday. I'll not be back. A bunch of scoundrels. And they walk out the back door and they leave a power vacuum. Well, what happens is whoever's been appointed as deacons, they, they fill the parrot vacuum. There's got to be somebody to figure things out. The pastor's walked away and left them hanging. And so there's got to be something, somebody figured out. So the deacons step in and uh, they try to appoint a new man or whatever. Well, you let that happen a couple of times. And what happens is those deacons and those people start getting leery of the preachers. And so the deacons say, well, we're going to just take a little more authority here. And uh, we'll lay down some ground rules for this new preacher that comes in. <laughs> and then they start laying down ground rules, start taking jobs that are not allotted them according to the scriptures. So jobs of authority trying to run rough shot over the preachers they bring in. And it, that, that cycle starts going and you've seen it played out in little mountain churches all over West North Carolina. Who goes to church there now is those deacons and their families and that's it. Nobody else goes to church there. And, and so what we call it is that we say, well, it's a family-run church. How many family-run churches do you know of 
in Western North Carolina. But really what it is, it's a deacon-run church. It just uh, so happens that that one deacon and his family is all that's left in the church. And that's because he took on a biblical a, a responsibility that was not his biblically to take on. His job was to lead the church and bringing in a new pastor and making sure that the, uh, that the transition was seamless. Then his job was to step back and help that pastor, step back and help that church. Uh, it wasn't to run roughshod over that preacher or tell him what to do. Uh, it was to be a help and an encouragement and a minister to the church. That is the reason God gave us deacons. I'm telling you, we've got, we've got all backwards. I, hey, I, there's a lot of preachers calls me during the week. And they call me and they say, you know, well, they're they going to run me off. This is, you know, this happened, that happened. And deacons will bring me in in, the, uh, in, in, in meetings and, and say to them, well, now we hired you. And we're going to tell you what to do. You know, this hat's going to be done. This is how we do it. And uh, I tell you, once you, you get that attitude, church ain't going to make it. That <laughs> church is dead. It's done. Once deacons get that attitude. But I'm telling you, and, and y'all know I'm telling you right, it's that way all over, and churches all over this country. That's attitude. That's attitude. It's you got the big daddy rabbit, the guy in charge, the big cheese, the head macho man, and he tells everybody else what's going to happen. And uh, nothing happens unless he says what to happen. And uh, it just ain't biblical. It just ain't biblical. You said deacon is supposed to be a servant. Now, I am... Glad to say I have been privileged to know some great deacons. Men who just want to be ahead. Men that just want to make the church go forward, want to see the church grow, want to see people's needs, uh, needs met, want to make sure there wasn't no confusion or problems in the church, that want to be a, a blessing and a help to their pastor. Like I said, we've got great deacons here. I thank God for them. They've never stood in my way. I've never, I've never had to try to go, uh, try to figure out what they's doing or we've never, you know, butted heads or tried to get in a war or a battle about anything. They've always been just, yeah, preacher, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's win everybody we can. Let's, let's take on as many missionaries as we can. They've always been a blessing to help those ways. But, and that's the way it ought to be. And a church can grow and thrive and succeed in that environment. But it's the only way that it can be. And so they should work to help the church, minister to the people, see the church grow. Now I will point this out. It's interesting to me. First Timothy chapter number three, there's qualifications not only for the deacons, but their wives. I think that's so interesting that uh, the Bible gives us, a, gives us qualifications for the deacon's wife, but not the pastor's wife. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's interesting. Wives also. Those wives also, deacon's wives, must be grave. And basically, what, uh, what they're talking about is spiritually mature. Said so the deacons ought to be spiritually mature, and their wives ought to be spiritually mature. They ought to act like somebody. They ought to have some grace about them and some, have a desire to help the church also. That's a, that's a biblical requirement of the deacons. Try to, uh, for their wives for their wives to also be a blessing to help the church. And boy, when things work like they're supposed to, they work great. As long as everybody stay in their lane and do what God has given them to do is their job, it works great. Now, you've got secretaries, trustees, project leaders, all kinds of different things, you know, that you'll point from time to time. There's no biblical mandate for it, no biblical qualification for it. Uh, those people, those people serve 
at the pleasure of the pastor. The pastor is, as I said, is the bishop, is in charge of the administration of the church. However, with all that being said, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be done. Baptists have always historically been congregationalists. You look back as far as you want to trace back, and what you'll find is that Baptists would vote on things. And majority ruled. Uh, and I believe, that's, I believe that's right. I believe that's right. You know, when you have a, a big project coming up, hey, you can't vote on every little thing, you know. I tell you, when I first came to pasture here, they had a business meeting every Wednesday night. They wouldn't vote on everything. You know, well, we got the power bill to pay this week. I guess we ought to vote whether or not to pay it. <laughs> there ain't no voting to it. They're going to turn the power off if we don't pay it. We, you know, there's some things that don't, you don't have to vote on whether or not you're going to pay the power bill this month. You know, got insurance due, well, pay the insurance. We ain't got to vote on that. And if there's big projects, so I believe the church ought to vote. I believe the majority ought to rule. I call some Baptists are congregationalists, and that's the way things work. And uh, I'm glad they're that way. And like I've said before, uh, if, uh, if y'all paint, vote paint the walls pink, I'll vote against it. But if that's the majority, I'll help you paint them. Because I wouldn't cause no trouble over it, right? So while all this is said and done, the, the, God's given us pastor, bishop, elder, whatever you want to call, call me, call them, to be over the church, and minister the things to the church. That doesn't mean I'm a dictator of the church. I preached on some of this last week. It doesn't mean that I am to run roughshod over God's people or force my will on everybody. No. Everybody's got a voice. Everybody's, everybody's got a vote, right? And then you got deacons, and the deacons just to be a minister and a help to the church, encourage the preacher, encourage the people, help where they can, where they see areas that need help, dive in there and help. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the biblical offices of the church, pastor and deacon. And uh, so I hope that's a help to you. You say, well, I already knew all that. Good, you know it again. You know, how, you know where we stand on it. You know where we stand on it. And like I said, Sunday, Rachel, we got the car. She said, that's good preaching, but I wish you hadn't talked about dying. <laughs> I ain't planning on dying no time soon. Uh, but, you know, hey, like I told Sunday, I, you know, I might get hit by a meteor or a, a giant condor carrying me off or something. And I'd be gone. Then what are you going to do? I mean, we laugh about it. But uh, you think about, I was thinking about Pleasant Valley when Lonnie died. Lonnie's about my age when he died. I mean, just up and die. Then what? Well, you better have some things squared away. Better have some space squared away. My top desk drawer, you'll find a letter. And it says to be opened on the event of my death. I would encourage you to open it and read it. Somebody go get the letter, okay? So I've written down a lot of things that I think ought to be done in the, in the event that I'm out of here, okay? Number one, you ought to run this building and shout and run the pews and say hallelujah, the preacher went to heaven, amen. And I'll be looking down from heaven going, hi man, church, shout on, amen. But uh, I've, got a, I've got a vested interest. My youngins and grand youngins continue to go to church here long after I'm gone. I've got a vested interest. I don't see this church do the right thing, go forward. I'm done, Rachel. I ain't talking about dying no more. 
Hallelujah. I say, go forward for the Lord. That starts with leadership. It starts with the biblical offices of pastor and deacon. You say, you wrote a letter? Yeah, that's morbid, isn't it? <laughs> but that's just who I am. So, you know, I ain't, a, I ain't a bit afraid of dying. That part, that dying does not, it doesn't frighten me. It don't freak me out. Nothing about it. It, it don't even spook me. I'd just soon not lay in a hospital somewhere for weeks or, or lay in a nursing home. I hope that. I hope, you know, it's like a, I'm run over by a bus and I don't even know it's coming, but uh, none of that stuff bothers me. I tell you, you get, you get where you need to be with the Lord, get in tune with him, death, death don't mean much anymore. I remember my grandmother, and I say, this has nothing to do with the message, but here we are, we're at it. She used to always, she'd take me to graveyards. My grandmother would take me to graveyards. Isn't that that's strange? Isn't it? You say, well, man, that's weird. You yeah, we went on field trips to graveyards. And she'd tell me about the people that's buried there and tell me stories about them, you know, and whatnot. And she'd say to me, she said, Bradley, one of these days I'm going to die. I was just a little kid. I didn't want to hear that from my grandmother. She's going to die? Nobody, nobody wants to hear that from her grandmother. She said, one of these days I'm going to die. She said, but now don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about that. She said, I'll go to heaven, and then you'll get to come there and join me. That's the way, y'all, that's the way a Christian ought to look at dying. It's like, uh, you know, coming off the porch and going into the house. It's just a transport from one place to the other. I say, thank God for that. Let's stand our feet. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your goodness, grace, and mercy. We pray, Lord, that you just uh, do a work. Pray that you do a work in our midst. Lord, as a church, help us to always go forward. Help me to be the pastor I need to be, Lord, would you? I want to be a pastor. I don't, I, just, I don't want to just phone it in. I don't want to show up. I want to be a pastor that makes a difference in people's lives. I pray that you'd help me to be that kind of pastor. I pray for our deacons. Lord, you'd help them be the deacons that God has called them to be. Lord, help us now as only you can. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.